How you guys doing this morning? Awesome. Awesome. Glad to hear it. Guys, school has started. School's in session. Today is football kickoff. I know that normally there's cheering, but the Seahawks is here, right? Uh, we don't know. Well, I don't know. In about an hour and a half, I'll get flooded with the Niners just got their butts kicked too. We'll figure it out. But um, I'm excited for just the season. I love the fall season, and, and we're here. And as we dive in today, uh, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. We're going uh, to start a new book today. We're going to spend some time in Romans, and I think it's really fitting for uh, following up with James. James talked about a lot of practical steps we can take, and, and Paul does a lot with the book of Romans that I think uh, is really, really applicable to, to what we're going through today, um, especially with the topic that he opens up with. But before we get started, how, how many of you guys, how many people in here, are there any students in here? You started school either last week or this week, you're, you're back in the mix. You can put those hands up. You don't have to hide. I mean, you're in school. It's good. Now, how many of you guys were excited to start school? A couple of you. Yeah. How many parents were excited? Their kids went back to school. Yeah, there's the, yeah, right? All right, students, how many of you less than thrilled? Less than thrilled. You know, you know what? Your less than thrilled does not overpower the parents' excitement of you being back out of the house for a few hours a day, right? But, you know, school is here. Um, parents are excited, routine is back in place, no more trying to find childcare. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we loved, we loved summer break, and now that I have kids that are at school for most of the day, summer vacation comes, and I'm like, we both work. Uh-oh, <laughs> we got to find something to do with the kids. So, you know, a lot of routine comes in place, but, but the thing is, with school starting, that means a lot of stuff is now starting. School's back in session. Some parents saw kids off to college, and as much as we love sending them off to school, it's, it's hard to see kids go off to college. But then we start planning down the road. We've got, we've got Halloween and trunk or treat coming up. Pretty soon, then we're going to have Thanksgiving coming up, then Christmas, then sooner than you know, it's 2023. It's going to happen so much faster than you thought. It's, it's going to come just like a blur, so buckle up. And, and I will admit, um, this week, we, we sent our kids to school, you know, their first day of school this year. We have, now we have a fifth grader and a first grader. And it's crazy because I remember when they were a no grader and no grader, right? But we sent them off to school and as fun as it was, I know that, that I prayed a little harder than normal. And we, we always pray when they go to school, but, but I prayed a little harder than normal this week. Uh, specifically Wednesday. We saw them go off and I thought, wow, time flies. But, but I had a few prayer points for, for me. It's like, this is my prayer for my kids as they go to school. One, I pray you will not be a burden to your teachers, right? When the emails go out and say, hey, some kids in the class are doing this, and let's go, that's my kid. I know it. I pray they will not be a burden to the teachers because I know my kids. Second, I pray that their speech and their actions will be loving to everyone in the class. Everyone in the class. I know that sometimes, you know, you'll have your kids and they go, oh, I got such and such in my class and this person. And then they go, and I got this person. Oh, man. But I pray that no matter what, my kids' actions and speech will be kind and loving to everybody in their class. My third prayer is that everything my kids do in school, God, I pray everything they do points people to you. Just because they can't have a Bible study right there in class doesn't mean their actions and words can't point people to Jesus. It's so my prayers for the kids. Kids, I pray that you are lights for Jesus in the school. And then fourth, and this is the one that, that I prayed for even more this year because of what happens, I pray that they're safe from danger at school. It's, it's crazy to think, seriously, that we're in a point in our society where that needs to be a regular prayer. Keep our kids safe. It's the, the headlines are too scary and too often too scary for things. And it just seems more real now than ever. 
more and more we hear of school shootings, we hear of tragedies at school, and, and I never thought, honestly, that I'd be at the day where I'd say, my kids are going off to school, gotta keep them safe. But that's just a regular part of prayer now. And there's, there's, a, there's a, like a catch-22 to it, right? On one end, it's like, I don't like that this has to be a prayer. But at the same time, prayer is powerful. Prayer is good. And what better way to start your day than to say, God, my kids are in your hands. Be with them today. Not just with them. Be with all the kids in school. That really is a great way to start the day. So pray for kids every day that they get to go and change the world for Jesus in their school. Now, it seems every year, though, the news stories of tragedy, pain, and it gets hard to listen to. Now, imagine this. 21 years ago today, 21 years ago today, who remembers where they were? Most of us do, right? 21 years ago today, the day started with all of us hearing the same horrible news stories, right? 21 years ago today, we heard about planes hitting the Twin Towers. Then that was followed by a plane hitting the Pentagon followed by another plane getting heroically brought down by its passengers before it could strike the Capitol. Devastation happened 21 years. 5.46 a.m. our time is when the news started to go, saying we were awoken and the North Tower had been hit. At that point, we didn't know what it was, right? At that point, the news hits and you think, this is a horrible accident. We didn't know the size of the plane. We didn't know what was going on. It was just a plane has hit the World Trade Center North Tower, and the world was like, what is going on? 17 minutes later, everything changed. 17 minutes later, the next tower got hit. 34 minutes after that, the Pentagon was hit. Not that long after that, United 93 went down. For those of us who were there, I bet you, even if you didn't, know right away where I was going with it, and I said 21 years ago, I bet you right now you can vividly remember exactly what you were saying, what you were doing, if you woke up to it, if you were already awake to it. I can remember my mom flying down the hallway in my house. It was my senior year in high school. I remember my mom flying down, turning on the news, and you see that headline, America under attack. It was a horrible day in history. It stung, right? It hurt. I know that even as I talk about it now, I can feel the emotions of that morning coming. Although, at that point in history, when it stung and it hurt, although this didn't last forever, an amazing thing did happen on that day. Congress got together. I remember them singing uh, America the Beautiful together. I remember seeing people, political lines getting broken and people just being with each other that day. And in th that moment of that day, there was no longer left, there was no longer right. There were people. People hurting with people. People loving with people. People were crying. People were hurting. And when survivors were crowned, you know what everybody did? Everybody cheered. It was a unique moment that brought unity. To this day, we still pray, right? I mean, um, I know if you're on social media, um, yesterday, even today, it's flooded already with people saying, 21 years ago, pray for this. 21 years ago, this happened, pray for people. There are people today that are still affected because they were immediately affected by losing loved ones all those years ago. War is still raging to this day because of those attacks. In our schools today, um, there are kids that are learning about it. Today, conversations will spark. Hey, this is what happened all these years ago. In some high school classes or college classes, it may cause political debates today. But my prayer, every year on this day, every year I say, God, in the midst of all these memories, in the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of this, this sin that took place on that day, I pray that somebody sees your goodness in the midst of it all. Somebody is able to look and say, 
in this time, I still see where God worked in the lives of people around me. I still see where God worked in my life. And maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus can look at a horrible tragedy and somehow still see God's love in the midst of it all and be drawn to him. So let that be a lot of our prayers today, that in the midst of something horrible, a life is changed. A life is, is given to Jesus. And that can be something we can all celebrate every single day. Now, I know I normally, I normally don't start service off so heavy. If you're visiting for the first time, I don't come up here and I'm, just, I'm not just like a down person. I'm sorry. But, um, but as I was reading through Romans chapter 1, um, there, there's a very serious issue that's hit right off the bat. And I think it's, it's crazy that when I was planning out the grand scheme of just where I, I want to talk about, what God's putting on my heart, to, to where to go, that this topic hits on September 11th. If you're not familiar with the book of Romans, Romans is probably the most systematical and developed doctrinal book that Paul wrote. It gets very, very deep. And, and the probable date for the authorship is around 56 to 58 AD. So we're looking at, you know, 20, 25 years or so after uh, Jesus had, uh, had been resurrected, right? And it's towards the end of Paul's third missionary journey, right before he left for Jerusalem. And it's full about so many principles about giving your life to Jesus in response to the grace and mercy of God. But I think there's something we have to understand about grace and mercy. And Romans does a great job of going right out the gate with this. Paul, dressed, right away, he says, we're going to talk about the problem of sin. We're going to talk right about the problem of sin. Now, that, that three-letter word, right? Three-letter small word that means a whole lot of issues. It, it's a really, really big problem. We live in a world full of sin, right? Everywhere you look, you, there, there's people that sin. Um, you don't have to look too far. We can look at ourselves, right? Because we sin. The world is full of sin. We're born into it, and it's the root cause of so many issues, not politics, not laws, not our neighbors, not our family. We can't look at everyone and go, it's their fault, it's their fault, it's their fault. I think that when we boil down to the very root of why so many horrible things happen, not just to us but to the world, we can relate it all the way to that one three-letter word. It starts with a sin problem. Not a po political problem, not a crazy law problem, a political, I mean, a, a sin problem. School shootings. The root of the problem is not whether you think we need more or less gun laws. It's a sin problem. Theft, rioting, pain, killing, planes flying into towers. This is not at its root a political problem. I know laws and politics have a part to play in a lot of things, but if you want to boil down to the root thing of why are these things happening, it boils down to there is a real sin problem. We have a problem with sin. And as I mentioned before, there are core principles in our faith that are worthy of study and attention. Paul is passionate about the power of the gospel. He is so passionate, he speaks about it all the time. He talks about how it saved his life and how he has a sin problem, but how the gospel of Jesus came and helps him with his sin problem. He says this in Romans 1.16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul knew, as we knew now, but they were still coming to terms with it then, that the gospel was meant for everybody. God's grace is for everybody, Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. This Jesus was for everyone. There was no partiality with the grace of the gospel. It was there for all to take. And thank goodness, because there's no partiality when it comes to sin either. Sin doesn't just hit someone some days and just, come here. maybe I'll skip you for a while. Sin is out there for everybody. But that's what makes grace so good. Grace is out there for everybody. Sin doesn't discriminate. Sin doesn't pick favorites. Sin affects everyone. 
I love we can say that about grace as well. Grace doesn't discriminate. Grace doesn't pick a favorite. Grace is for everyone. It's there for you. Jesus offers this amazing free gift of grace and forgiveness. And I think what Paul does here in in Romans chapter 1 is he talks about grace, and then we're going to read he talks a lot about sin, and then he comes back up with grace. Because I think to understand grace, to really understand what this free gift is, to understand this God who says, I have something so good for you, to really know what that means, we have to know what it's worth. To understand grace, we have to understand sin. We have to know how serious it is. We have to understand exactly what Jesus saved us from. Otherwise, it doesn't matter. It, it can seem so invaluable. Have you ever had something in your possession and you didn't know what it was worth? Um, like the people on those antique road shows? You ever watch those on TV? Some ugly thing, right, is on the counter. Like, oh, this was in my attic collecting dust for 38 years, and I, I brushed it off, and there's no cracks on it. And the, the artist, the the antique guy looks at it and they're like, oh, this is, this is, this, this is, this is worth $82,000. What? I mean, I wish I had an attic to go through stuff at that point, right? When's the roadshow coming through? Because I, I got baseball cards. <laughs> Look at these things. But, but sometimes, you know, you don't even know what it's worth. And then suddenly that thing that was in a box collecting cobwebs and dust is getting the most intricate care. Now it's on display and you might as well say, rob me. Right, Because it's, it's right there and it's worth so much money. But suddenly when you realize what something is worth, it doesn't go back in a box, doesn't start collecting cobwebs anymore. It is on display. You want people to, to share that joy, right? Look what I found. This is amazing. Whether you keep it or sell it, it doesn't matter. But at that point, you got something valuable and it's exciting. And something for me, when, when I would see those on TV, I would, I would smile seeing the person smile when they realize how much something they just had. It's fun to share that joy with people, but you don't understand how precious something is until you understand how valuable it is. And sometimes you have to understand what made it valuable. Something they do on that show is they start going into the history of this was the artist, this is what they did, this is what makes this so valuable. I think when we want to unpack grace and sin, we have to kind of treat it the same way. Here comes grace. Here is the author behind it. Here's what he did. Here's why this gift is unlike anything else you will ever experience in your life. But to do that, you have to understand what it saves you from. Otherwise, it's just another thing. Sin is a big deal. We have to understand sin. So if you have your Bibles, uh, Romans chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 18 today, verse 18 to 25. And like I said, it's, it's heavy. It's a heavy talk. And, and full disclosure, full disclosure, um, I get nervous every Sunday. Um, but when I'm, I'm sitting over here, and you may see me going through my notes a little bit and kind of walking around reading stuff, every Sunday I get nervous. Um, I, I, I can't eat breakfast Sunday mornings because my stomach is doing, it's having its own circus on a Sunday morning. But, um, but for me, uh, this talk has been getting me all week. And so much nervous to the point where I was, I was like, last, last night, Stephanie asked me, she goes, are you okay? And I was like, my stomach's already doing somersaults because of how serious this is. And, and, and I hope today, when we see how serious this is, we get to understand how amazing God is at the end of it. So read with me here. Starting in verse, uh, verse 18, it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from the heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and, and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's a pretty powerful passage. There's a lot being said there about what some people have done and how serious it is when we, we, we start going down this path. Now, right before this, he's, he's encouraging people. He's saying, I'm saved by the grace. I'm saved by the gospel. And then he goes into how horrible sin is and what some horrible things people have done. And I think that he does it for a reason. He shifted to the subject we don't like talking about our sin. So often you can get to a group of people where, where you say, hey, how are things going? And, and our response is like, hey, it's good. But we don't tell them that we just did X, Y, Z because we don't want to talk about our sin. Paul says we got to talk about it. We have to talk about this sin problem. And sin, sin is something that we're all affected by. In the very first book of the Bible, you go all the way back to Genesis, the very, two, the very first two people, guess what they were affected by? It's not a trick question, right? Sin. They were affected by sin. The fact that they were affected by it it goes through everybody in Scripture, even past Scripture to this day. We are all still affected by sin. God gave Adam and Eve free reign, almost, almost total free reign, with one rule in the garden. He said, don't eat from that tree. But even though that rule is in place, they broke it. First man, first woman, they both sinned against God by obeying his command. And every man and woman afterwards, for the rest of eternity, right, we suffer consequences from what we refer to in Scripture as the original sin. This is the reality that Paul was writing about that we're living in today. All have sinned. No one's exempt. Over time, it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. If we, if we watch the news and things, we see things getting worse and worse and worse. And I think there's a big problem with sin. One of the problems we have with sin to this day, and I, I'm guilty of this. So a lot of this, I hope you guys know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm hoping not to feel like I'm preaching at you. I'm part of this. I'm part of the sin problem. Part of the sin problem is that often we don't think it's so bad. Often we don't think it's so bad. Who, who likes cat videos or funny, fuzzy animals on YouTube or something? You see something? When you see a cute animal doing something, what's the first sound you make? Ah! Unless you're my wife, you say, don't feed nature, get that out of here, right? But people love cat videos and funny, furry animals. You know, we, we, we like cute animals. Now, Puppies, kittens, even raccoons. If it's cute and small and fuzzy, people just want to pet that thing because you love it. But fun fact about raccoons, did you know that a raccoon, when it turns two years old, it goes through a serious, often sudden psychological change? This is nature. A, a raccoon goes through a sudden change. Suddenly a raccoon, they've been known after two years old to attack anything in their path without warning when this change occurs. If you saw the movie Elf, you saw the raccoon attack Buddy, right? That's what they do. They will just lash out and attack. There was a, a zoologist, Gary Richards, who was a zookeeper. He knew a young woman who had a raccoon. From babyhood, she took this raccoon as her pet. And he told her one day, he said, when this thing gets two years old, you need to let it go before that mark because it will change and it will be bad. And she said, there's no way. This has been her pet. It eats out of the palm of her hand. Her loving raccoon would never attack her. Three months later, 
that woman had to have plastic surgery to repair her face because the raccoon did irreparable damage to her. Unprovoked attack from a fuzzy little cute raccoon. I think often, far too often, sin can come disguised as this cute little fuzzy, this was no big deal. This is something so small, this would never really hurt me. And then all of a sudden, the reality is it hits. It was not a little deal. This was a big deal. This was a big problem. This was the start of something small that maybe you didn't see right away, but now it's spiraling into something so much bigger because we didn't give it the attention that it was due. It was a big problem. Indicators have shown that that things in our country are changing, and this is the trajectory that we're on. In the last 30 years, in the last 30 years, there's been a 560% increase in crime, 400% increase in children born without um, married parents, quadrupling divorce rates, tripling a percentage of children living in a single-parent home, 200% increase in teen suicide, a 75-point decrease in SATs to the point where the SATs have been eliminated and don't even matter anymore. We are at the top. Now, check this out. All those stats, those are not worldwide stats. That is America. Those are the United States of America stats. We are at the top of the list when it comes to abortion rate, divorce rate, unwed births, murders, and violent crime. Those are crazy stats, right? Crazy things to think. But here's an even crazier one. We have the crazy ability to either not know about it or pretend like it's not even a big deal. That's just society. Yes, we just got to keep ourselves safe because that's just how the world is now. And, and Paul talks about this in verses 19 and 20. He says, this is a big deal, and we can't make an excuse for not knowing who God is and not knowing what God wants in the midst of all this because God makes himself so, he makes his invisible traits so visible in the way that he works. He works in our hearts. He works in our life. If we look for it, we can see what he's doing. And we can't make an excuse and say it's no big deal. God doesn't care. He's not in the midst of it. He is. He's there. He cares. If we, God doesn't just stand back and watch. He's not just back there going, look at the United States. It's messing itself up. I'm gonna, just going to take a break over here, right? God's still working in it. God is still working in our lives. When we look through the pain, we can see God holding us in our pain. When we look through people making bad decisions, we can see God working in our lives and the lives around us. When we look for God, we will see God. We know that God just doesn't watch a broken people. God is the ultimate people fixer. God is the ultimate people lover. But even though God reveals himself, there there are people that don't want to have anything to do with him. I'm sure we all all know people, right, who you could say these things to and they say, I just, I I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I don't care. And sometimes we even get to that point. I know I've been there where I'm like, you know what? I don't really know if God would think about this one so much. But that's a problem with sin, right? It's a sin problem. It's not a law problem, not a person problem. It is a sin problem. One of the problems with sin is it gives people, it gives us Jesus blinders. It gives us Jesus blinders. It it can be amazing today that when you think about towards the end of Jesus' life here on earth, um, he was brutalized in every possible way you can think, right? He was humiliated, he was spat on, he was beaten. Scripture says he wasn't even recognizable when he was given back to the crowd. He was so brutalized. And all the while, God, who was all-knowing, knew that there would be people who saw who he was. They'd know about the sacrificial love. They would, God knew they're going to see my son, and they're still going to turn their back. He still did it anyways. He still did it anyways. He knew there'd be people that would walk away but it didn't stop him. Maybe some of us in this room um, or some of you guys watching online today um, have experienced this as well. 
friends in our, in our life that we desperately try to talk to Christ about. We say, you know what, you, you've got to check this out. But, but how often sometimes do we do that? And people say, you know, been to church, been there, done that, check that box, I'm done. There's some people we feel like we just, we just can't break through. We try to bring up a Bible verse when we see him. We pray for him, but, but some, they, they will say they just don't want anything to do with him. They'd rather live a life without him, a life with all their stuff, oblivious to the fact that there are blinders over their eyes. And that's not just a, a people problem. It's not a thing problem. It comes down to a sin problem. A sin, the sin in our life can cause us to totally just close our eyes and look around and say, I don't see Jesus. I don't see Jesus. But it's because we're so focused on things that are not of Jesus. Our, our sin can give us those blinders. And all we have to do, and all we can pray for our friends through that moment, is to say, you know what, just for one second, just, just remove those blinders. Just look up. Just look out and see him. Because I know if you catch that glimpse, if you just catch the taste of the goodness of what he has, it would cause you to say, I don't want these blinders. I want to experience more of this. I want to choose him instead of myself. I want them to choose him instead of themselves. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says that God gave people over to the desires of their hearts. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They traded the power of the divine creator for the image of the, of the, the idols instead. They traded, the, they traded created things instead of trading it for the creator of all things. They said, I want this instead. And it's a trade-off that, that many of us still struggle with today because it puts blinders on our eyes. When we willingly give ourselves into the hands of, of powerless idols or, or things in our life, what we're really doing is giving someone else an opportunity to take a foothold in. When we're really saying, you know, God, I, I'm going to do this instead, what we're doing is that blinder is allowing someone else to say, oh, now I, got, now I have an in. Now I have a little foothold. Now I have a step I can take. The Bible talks about this. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Now, the original word, word translated for foothold here also means place, ground, or opportunity. And it's, it's often used in the New Testament to describe like a destination, like a location. Don't give the devil a location. Don't give him a destination. Don't give him a resort in your, in your area, right? Keep him out. Now, folks in real estate, you, you probably... If you're in real estate, I know we have a few people in here doing this. You, you know that buying and selling is about three things. Location, 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 right? Those three things. You could have a house that is awesome in the middle of a slummy area, and it's not worth a ton. You take that same house, room for room, space for space, you put it on a beachfront or a golf course. Yeah, right? Location, location, location is, is worth it. The thing is... God wants our location, someone else wants our location. And there's someone else who is also actively looking for a location in your life to say, I've got some real estate. Now I've got something I can work with. And we can often say it's no big deal, it's just a small part, but all sometimes he needs is that foothold to know he's got in. He's got in. In Genesis, the account I referenced earlier with Adam and Eve, the devil took up some space in their garden. He said, I can get in now. Don't you want to be like God? Don't you want to know? And they said, well, yeah. And right there he was like, I've got it. Now I know what I can say. Now I know how I can get these people to turn their backs. I can get them to put on those blinders because I've got some real estate. The strategy of the devil hasn't changed for thousands of years. He has a strategy. He knows I want this small opportunity. He is after three things for us. Location, location, location. He wants it. And if we give him that foothold, we're ultimately saying is, I got to put something else aside to give him a step in, in there instead. And this is one of the problems of sin. 
that, uh, that Paul addresses here. The problem of sin is alienates us from God. It gives the devil opportunity. It, it still feels weird to this day to even say devil from the pulpit. It, it, it does. But, but the truth is, sin. Start, we, when we choose sin, we're, we're pushing God aside and saying, the devil is now getting opportunity. He's now giving him something that we shouldn't give him any of. When we worship idols, anything that comes in our life that takes the place of God, when we harbor unforgiveness, when we lie, when we cheat, when we steal our way to success, when we willingly give ourselves to sin, it's like opening the door and saying, hey, come on in, I've got a place for you right here because I know it's going to make me feel real good right now. Even in our minds, if we, if we temporize it or temper, temporalize, you know, yeah, if we make it temporary, we know that it's something that, that it's going to be bigger than what we, what we say it's going to be. When we give him that spot, we may think it's something small, but once he gets that location, he says, now I'm in, and we've given him opportunity. I don't want to say, move aside, Jesus. I don't want to say, hey, I have to make less of you for more of him. That's the total opposite direction. But when we choose into this and we say it's not a big deal, that's ultimately what we're saying. We have to stand our ground. We have to stand our ground on the ground that is worth standing on, and that is the word of God, right? That is the foundation we have. And the invitation we have, if we, if we have this invitation that we open up to let the enemy in, that's one that will always end poorly. It's not one you want to willingly extend. It's not one you want to give your life to. Instead, Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, he talks about standing your ground and wearing the armor of God. He says this, he says, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand up against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6, that's 10 and 12. We've got to recognize the devil has a plan for you. And I love that, that the scripture says, put on the armor of God. You, don't, you didn't go into battle without your armor. Even soldiers today, it doesn't look like medieval armor, but they go into battle with armor and protection. They know that they're protecting themselves for what they're stepping into. God says, protect yourself because you are in a battle and he's got all the right equipment for you. And also something else an army would do is you had to know your enemy. You had to know how they were going to attack. You had to know what they were doing so you could go against them. When we understand what sin does, when we understand the sin problem, we know how to fight it. We can be better equipped for going and saying, I'm not going to give the enemy a foothold. I'm going to attack it instead. Recognize the devil does have a plan. He does have a plan. He wants you to steal. He wants you to kill. He wants you to destroy. He wants, to you to do everyth he wants to do everything he can to get you to say, oh, Jesus is there. Look this way. He'll do everything to get you to turn your eyes. Don't give him a foothold. Don't let him in. Press into God. Press into his power. Man, don't let the enemy get us any real estate. Don't give him location, location, location. Thankfully, God knew we couldn't win this fight on our own. God didn't say, hey, open your cupboards, find some cooking sheets and some metal pans and strap them around, go out there and fight. God said, I'm going to give you the armor. I'm going to fight this with you. And God knew we couldn't win this on our own, so he sent the biggest person to fight on us for, for us on his behalf. He sent a savior. He sent the ultimate sacrifice. We needed a savior to fight on our behalf. We can't win this fight on our own. Sin's a big deal. The little sins are a big deal. The little sins have the same consequence as the big sins, and God knew that, and he said, I'm gonna fight for you. He sent a savior for us. We needed Jesus to come. We needed someone to conquer sin and conquer death. 
if one of the main problems of sin is that it alienates us from God and, and gives the, the devil a foothold, it stands to reason that one of the solutions of our sin, for the solution for this to be reconciled and redeemed, is to be put back right in that relationship with God. Brings me to this last point. It's time to get encouraging, guys. This is the part, remember, I said it was going to be heavy, and I know that you know, sin, sin's a big deal, right? The, the best part of this, though, the best part of this sin problem is that God has rescued us from this sin problem. God has already rescued us. Sin's a big problem. Guess what? We got a bigger God. Sin has the power to bring death. Our God beat death. We got a big problem. We got a big solution. And we've got an amazing God. Amidst our sin, God still rescues us. He rescued us by giving himself No other religion gets to say that. Nobody else gets to say, my God came and died for me so I can be with him. Ours is the only one. Ours is the real one that says, God loves you so much that your sin problem was not too big for him. He didn't leave you to fend for yourself. He said, I've got this. I have got this. Jesus walked in the midst of it. He walked the earth. In the midst of sin, he took our consequences. In the midst of sin, he took it away. So in the midst of sin, we get to live in the midst of grace. In the midst of sin, we get to live in the midst of grace. Now that doesn't make sense. When, when you look at what grace is, it does not make sense. I just spent the past 20-something minutes talking about how horrible earth can be. About, about the, the fears of shootings in school, the, the, the planes crashing into towers, people lying and cheating and stealing, and you, you look at the news for 10 seconds, and it's just horrible stuff happening. When, when you look at that, it doesn't look like something God would say, I'm going to save that. And the truth is, God already did. He already died. He already sent his son. The pain of the world, our decision to rebel against God, all these horrible things, is serious. It's bad. But the love of God is serious. The grace of God is serious. Jesus is bigger than all of it. Jesus is greater than any evil that can ever tempt us in any way. Jesus is bigger than that. I love how Pastor Chris put it last week. God can handle it. God can handle you. God can handle anyone who is a lot, as Chris put it. God can handle it. Jesus brings life where death is deserved. And the best part, the best thing of all about grace the best thing, if you, if you were to ask someone and, and they, they start to understand how bad sin is, how bad just one little thing can be, when we say, you know what, Jesus is bigger than that, Jesus, he brings life where that sin means you deserve death. That's how big a deal Jesus is. Where we deserve death, Jesus brought life. And the best part of it is it's free. It is absolutely free. You don't have to go earn it. You don't have to go deserve it. Because truth is, you can't earn it. (laughs) Truth is, you don't deserve it. Scripture says we deserve to die. And God said, no, not today. I'm going to die so you don't have to. He fought the fight. The battle already is over. You read the beginning of the book. You read the middle of the book. You read the end of the book. The whole thing, you see this amazing, victorious love story of Jesus and God beating death. And it is awesome. We can always celebrate the fact that no matter how big or horrible sin is, no matter how bad it is, the love of God is greater. But in order to understand that free gift, that, that maybe that antique that was in a box in the attic somewhere that, that we need dusting off, we need to understand how valuable that is because of what it saves us from. Without the death of Jesus, there is no grace. Without the death of Jesus, there's no forgiveness. But that gift is so beautiful and so powerful, it saves us from the most horrible horrible separation from God. We don't have to endure it. 
because Jesus already came because he loves you that much. The problem of sin was beaten by the victory of Jesus and grace. I'd like to invite the, the worship team back up. And I'll, I'll close with a couple points. And, and we're, gonna, we're actually going to have communion. We're going to share in communion today. But um, before we do communion, um, know this. Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short. There's not a person alive today that doesn't have this sin problem. We all have the problem. But the scary part, the scary part about that sin problem, remember, is that when we sin, it's, it's that open door for the enemy. But when we do what's right... When we look at God, and Genesis 4 says, when we do what's right, we'll be accepted. When, when, we, when we look at Jesus and understand his grace, we get to say, sin is a problem, but it's a defeated problem. Because I live under the banner and the love of God. There'll always be another temptation. There will always be another opportunity. There'll always be another chance where you can say, all right, what am I going to choose right now? That will never go away your entire life. Sorry, it's going to happen, right? But the great thing is, Jesus' love is there. Just It's, it's always there. Every opportunity you have to say, oh man, I could make this choice, know that the love of God is right there as well. We get to choose that every single time. Stand firm on the truth of the gospel. Don't give space. Don't give space to the devil in your lives. The question for you guys, before we go into communion, what's going to happen? The worship team is going to lead us in a song. And, and as, they, as they sing this song, I want us all to, whether you want to stand and lift your arms, whether you want to make a little altar right there on your seat and just have a moment for God, I, I want us all in this moment to understand how powerful this gift was Jesus gave us. We don't understand grace unless we understand sin. I know a majority of the talk today was on sin, but that's because it's a big deal. But the fact that it's so big makes grace that much bigger. Take a moment before God and ask yourself this question. Have you set aside something that you thought was so small, but it needs to be dealt with? Have you set aside something small that needs to be dealt with? What, what is there in, on your, in your life right now that you say, you know what, God, maybe I gave a foothold somewhere here, and I want to give it back to you. God, maybe I gave, up, I gave up some location. I gave up a little bit here. I didn't think it was big, but it's big. God, I want to give that location back to you. What's something you can pull the plug on, turn away from? Is there a number you need to delete? Is there a website you have saved that you need to delete? Is there a relationship to say goodbye to? What idol needs to get put away? Just take a moment right now to say, God, I've got a sin problem. But I've got a Jesus solution. So take a moment now when the team plays, and then I'll come back up and walk us through uh, communion together. But take a moment to just have that worshipful moment with God and say, God, we're going to receive what you've done for us because you are the ultimate solution to a sin problem. Amen? God, I thank you that your grace is so big. God, I thank you that we don't deserve it, but you are so wonderful. God, I pray for all of us here, myself included, God, if there's something in our lives that we need to say, God, I'm giving it to you. I don't, I don't need this. This is not of you, God, that we put it aside and we receive what you have for us because it's so much better. It's so much bigger. I pray if anybody here today is thinking, but you don't understand, Pastor, what I've done. You don't know my past. You don't know what I said this morning, last week, last year. I can't take that back. I can't take it back, God. You can take it away. So God, I pray people offer it up to you. I pray that there's just a spark in hearts today like no other where people say, God, my real estate is your real estate. My life is yours. Amen. I to invite you all to uh, take your communion cups as we receive this together. Now, communion is um, a special thing in Scripture. Jesus walked through with his disciples at what we call the Last Supper. 
He was giving them a precursor, saying, you know, this is what I'm going to do for you. At the time, they didn't quite get it, but they received it. And today, we get to continue to receive it because Jesus told them then, and it's still true today. He said, I'm going somewhere, but I'm coming back. And we get to remember what he did for us, and we get to take this often and always declare as we take it that he's coming back. So I want to invite you to take the, the wafer off the top. And when Jesus took bread, he broke it as disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. So when we eat this today, remember that we have a sin problem. But this body represents, this bread represents the body that was broken as the ultimate defeater of our sin problem. Amen. Would you take and uh, eat the bread with me? As you remove the the lid for the juice. And the same as he did with the bread, he took the juice and he said, this is my blood just poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. The wages of sin is death. You know, Romans says that, but I love that we have the victory over death. The only thing that could beat our death was the perfect blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so when we drink this today, remember, again, sin's a big problem. Jesus' blood is greater. It's bigger. And he shed it for us to get rid of our sin, not just to cover our sin, to wipe away our sin. So when we drink this, remember, Jesus' perfect blood beats our sin problem. Amen? Take and drink this. God, I thank you that, that you're bigger than everything. You're bigger than the problems. You're bigger than our mistakes. God, your love reigns supreme. I ask that as we leave here today, God, we take that step closer to you, God. We give you our real estate, we give you our hearts, and we never forget the amazing love of Jesus, which rules over everything. I pray the conversations we have today are ones that point people to you. I pray the conversations our kids have at school point people to you. I pray that our actions point people to you, and ultimately, God, our hearts are pointed towards you. So God, we thank you for who you are, we thank you for what you've done, and all of God's children said... Amen.